Welcome, this is Jonathan Yamasaki, host of Go Entrepreneur Yourself. The name of this podcast speaks for itself. We empower you with digestible, inspiring, and valuable content on starting your own business. Our show stands for empowering future and current entrepreneurs to stop dreaming and start entrepreneuring, which means to take that leap, take that first step on your idea as opposed to just sitting there. Not only are you gaining valuable advice on starting your business, but you have the opportunity to connect with some of our entrepreneurs. Today, we roll out the red carpet for our special guest, Jeff Hoffman, a successful philanthropist, investor, billionaire entrepreneur, best-selling author, globally recognized speaker on business leadership and entrepreneurship, motivational speaker, Hollywood film producer, producer of a Grammy award-winning jazz album. And Jeff is also the chairman of the Global Entrepreneurship Network, which works with entrepreneurs in 190 countries, as well as being a founding member of the Unreasonable Group, whose 289 portfolio companies have raised $6.6 billion in funding that has positively impacted over 720 million lives. Jeff has also been a part of a number of well-known startups, including Priceline.com, Booking.com, UBIB, and more, where he has built companies worth billions of dollars. Wow. Jeff, when do you have time to do anything? Thank you so much for coming to our show. <laughs> sure. Thank you so much for having me. So today, Jeff, we would love to hear from you about the rise of your success in founding multiple startups, your time as a philanthropist, and the raw truths of becoming an entrepreneur, along with the need of for young entrepreneurs and the resources to share with them. But before we do that, I'm going to run a quick segment with you called Hugh Minutes. In this segment, right. we're looking for honest and human responses to a few rapid-fire questions. So are you <laughs> okay. ready, Jeff? Sure. Awesome. So how old would you be if you didn't know how old you are? Yikes. Uh, much younger than I really am. I'd be 40. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Uh, favorite guilty pleasure? Uh, ice cream all the way. Love it. When was the last time you felt nervous about presenting or speaking? Um, it was actually at my best friend's funeral um, mm. because I just didn't want to do it. And it, it was just too important and too hard to say goodbye. Yeah. Yeah. That's thank you for sharing that. What is one favorite jazz song? Wow. I have a lot of favorite jazz songs, but OK, fine. It's one of ours. It's called Alma Vasia, and it's on our album that won the Grammy. It was written by awesome. Arturo Oferil, but it's called Alma Vasia. That's one of my all time favorites. That sounds wonderful. I got to take a listen to that. Mm. <laughs> Where did you attend high school? In Phoenix, Arizona, in the desert. Awesome. And then are you more worried about doing things right or doing the right things? No, most definitely the latter. Uh, people make mistakes doing things right. Uh, you'll figure that out. But doing the right thing, you you have no choice. You have to do that every time. Awesome. Thank you. Well, that was Humanities with Jeff. Now, Jeff, let's start with the first moment you realized you had an entrepreneurial spark. Was it when you were in your diapers, during your time at Central <laughs> High School, at Yale? Let us know. <laughs> All right. So way before that, um, grew up with a single mom who had four kids and multiple jobs and no money. And my sister was funny because my sister said relatively recently, she said, we didn't even know we were poor uh, because we didn't uh, focus on that. Uh, but we certainly didn't go out to restaurants, vacations, just have the basics. Didn't matter. But when I was a kid, teenager, I didn't want to put pressure on my hardworking mom when I needed stuff. Jonathan, I played every sport. And when it would change from, you know, football to baseball, you needed different shoes. But I didn't want to ask my mom for money for cleats. So I would find ways to do something someone would pay me for. Knock on doors on the street and say, uh, your garage is a mess. And they're like, what's your point? 
And I would say, I could clean it for you because you're obviously not going to. It's 110 degrees in the Arizona heat. And I said, you know, what would you pay me to clean the garage for you and haul all this trash? And they'd say, you know what? It does need to get done. How about blank? And so I discovered that when I needed something, if I went out and did hard work, other people didn't want to work, do, I would get paid for it and could sort of establish a level of independence. And of course, I didn't use the word entrepreneur, Jonathan, but I understood this relationship between wanting something in your life, being willing to work hard and doing something that somebody would pay you for in the world. And it turns out those are three pretty important basics for successful entrepreneurship. And how old were you when you started walking around asking people if you can cut their yard, clean their garage? Yeah, I was about 12. Um, and then it, I did that for years. I always had jobs, but it was really big in college because I wanted to go to a university that, quote, people like me don't go to. That is a quote from my guidance counselor, sadly, in high school. She said, people like us don't go to places like that. I wanted to go to Yale. And that, mm. that was not a thing for where I went to high school. A lot of people didn't even go to college at all. And uh, when I got there, I worked really hard to get into a school like that. And when I got there, I basically got kicked out because I didn't have enough money. And that's, you know, mm. they're right. It's not like you can go to a restaurant, eat steak dinner and say, hey, you know what? I don't really have any money. Um, so I don't blame the university, but they said, you can't go here because you can't pay for it. So that was my second entrepreneurial thing, right? Because I'm thinking back to when I was a teenager. If you really want something, go figure out how to get it yourself. But the answer, in fact, Jonathan, I'll tell you something I wrote down years ago. I wrote down what I thought was the formula and I wrote three things, dream big, work hard, create value. And I was like, shouldn't it be this simple? You got to want something or nothing drives you to work hard. So you got to dream big, then you got to work hard. Nobody gives you anything, but you also have to create value. So I kind of took that philosophy then. I want this Yale degree. That's the big dream, right? Even though people like me aren't supposed to go to a college like that. So I had a big dream. I'm willing to work hard. So when I couldn't go to class the second day, I started a little software company. And so I had Yale's a hard enough academic school. So I had to work hard all day and then I had to work on my business all night to be able to afford the school. So that was the work hard part, but create value is important. I actually walked around, I had no car or anything, like I did as a teenager. But this time in college, I walked around to small businesses and said, what do you need that I could create for you that would help you run your business more profitably? So I wrote a lot. Of, I was writing software for small businesses to analyze their business. And that I funded my entire Yale education uh, by running a little software company in the basement under my dorm room. <laughs> That's awesome. So this segues us into a great next question. So I see you graduated from Yale in 1983. And I looked you up on LinkedIn. And the oldest experience you had on there was working in Priceline from 1997 to 2001. And on your website, uh, jeffhoffman.com. There's so many incredible things that you've done. What were you doing from when you graduated from Yale <laughs> up until 1997? What was going on there? Because there's something that led to this amazingness. It's funny that I never uh, went back and uh, I'm not a social media guy. My goal in life is not to have followers. My goal in life is to have, have impact. So I've never I made any, a lot of people <laughs> are trying to be famous or get likes and follows. Um, I'm just trying to make a difference. And so the people that I need to quote, like, or follow me. It ain't about social media, right? If, for example, mm -hmm. it's the children in the school we built in Ethiopia or in the orphanage we built in Uganda or entrepreneurs that I helped in, you know, Senegal or Bolivia or whatever. So social media is not my goal. 
impact is my goal. So I never really went back and finished that. But I did have, when I got out of college, I did have a corporate engineering job because that's, Jonathan, what everybody tells you to do. Go get a good job at a good company so you can get a good salary. So I did. I kind of gave into the social pressure. I got a job at a big engineering company and I hated it every day. And so I worked at that for a number of years. And then one day I just couldn't take it anymore. I was like, I can't spend the rest of my life sitting in this cubicle doing this. So I just quit and walked out. And my first probably real startup was when I was broke and unemployed in, in an airport, super late, super long lines to check in for the flight then and mm -hmm. missed the flight as a result, because back then you had to stand in line and talk to a ticket agent at the counter who would just print you a boarding pass. By the way, all boarding passes is a piece of paper. And stood in line for an hour, missed a flight. And I remember yelling at the lady, why are we all standing in a giant line to watch you print stuff? Because that's all boarding pass is. And she's like, next customer. And I'm like, well, ma'am, I'm talking <laughs> to you. And she's like, next customer. So the next chunk of years were I, my first sort of real startup at post-school, which is I said, there's got to be a better way to check in for a flight. You know, we created those kiosks that you now see in airports all over the world where you can uh, check yourself in on a check-in kiosk wow. and get your own So I have you pass. to thank, have you to thank <laughs> for my social anxiety when I don't want to go talk to anybody. I just want to just <laughs> go and get on the plane. <laughs> people send me, it's funny because people still send me a picture of themselves next to a kiosk in an airport and they just write thanks uh, as they breeze <laughs> by. But, you know, so for all those years, we were building that company and selling product around the world. And fortunately, it was successful. But Trial by fire for me as an entrepreneur, because I had no idea how to build a company the day I started that. Yeah. So now going back into when you worked at this job after college, why did you hate it so much? What was it about it that was it just something that wasn't fulfilling your cup? You didn't feel like it was something that was getting you to where you wanted to go? Well, I'm going to give you an example. In fact, I'll give you two okay. of why this company in corporate America did not work for me. The first one was, so one day everybody's like dressed up at work. I was like, what's going on? They're like, dude, the mm -hmm. senior management of our big company is coming to our building for a reception, meet the management reception. And everybody's mm -hmm. kind of dressed up. And I was like, isn't it just a reception in the building? And they're like, yeah, but you want to look good and stuff. And we're all heading over there early. Do you want to go? And I was like, what's the big rush? And they said to get FaceTime with management. I said, so you're all dressed up and you're all wearing makeup and heels and everything to impress management. And they said, yes. And I said, and you're all rushing over there to push and shove and get FaceTime. And they said, yes. And I said, why is that so important? Kind of rhetorically, mm -hmm. Jonathan. And they said, because that's what controls your career. You got to get mm -hmm. management to like you. They decide who gets raises, bonuses, promotions. So your job is to please management. And I said, all right, well, here's a crazy idea. Uh, but what if I stayed here and continued to work on products and created amazingly happy customers? that love the product and the service. And they're like, doesn't matter what the customer thinks. It only matters what the senior vice president thinks. He controls your life. And I was like, that's insane, right? I was sitting there thinking, mm -hmm. and, and they said, Jeff, that's the job. The job in a big company like this is you got to, you know, you got to basically butter up the management because they control your career. And I was like, I want to work somewhere where my success is based on how good my products are and how happy my customers are. And everybody just laughed. And I'm like, right. that's funny. And they're like, that's not how it works. <laughs> and I said, then I just should go start my own company where, you know, when I started a company, I was telling my employees, you don't work for me. And they'd say, who do you work for? And they'd say, Jeff. I'd say, absolutely not. You work for that customer, right? We all work for them. If they're not happy and they don't buy our product, you got no paycheck anyway. 
So it's never been about me as a CEO or founder. It's always been about the customer. But that's what drove me crazy, that they made it clear to me, your job is to impress management. And I wanted my job to be to impress customers. And everybody just laughed when I said that. So that's when I was like, I can't work at this big company uh, because that's not what I want to do for a living. Yeah. And I think that's, that's crazy. So many, so many people are stuck in like the making of the money instead of the bringing the value to the customer, because that comes in any ways. So then after working at that software at corporate America, starting your own company, building this kiosk all around the world to help people check out to the airlines faster, then how did that lead up to being with Priceline? Well, I had uh, some mistakes in there. (laughs) <laughs> some other companies, Perfect. good and bad. One of them, uh, I'll tell you, a bad one, a fail, because it then led to a different success, but had this crazy idea. You didn't really need to drive to the mall, right? Actually, our thought was especially because I was watching moms, stay-at-home moms that had a toddler and a baby, and it would take them forever to load the car with the stroller and the diaper bag and the strapping in, and no one wants to go in their seat. Then they'd finally get to the mall, and they'd have to spend 20 minutes unloading strollers and diaper bags and kids and finally push them in the mall and and you know all that chaos and it was all because they needed they were going to buy a sweater at the mall or whatever. so mm-hmm. i had this crazy idea you don't really have to go to the mall you can buy the sweater you need on the computer that's already in your house mm-hmm. using this new thing at the time called the internet um, that was my great idea and we even called the company virtual shopping because uh, trying to think of a clever name. You're <laughs> so shopping, literal, you're shopping. so literal. <laughs> yeah, shopping virtually. So we built a company and we built the middleware and we got retailers and products on the website. And then we launched it and it's chirping silence. Nobody bought anything. And so later I got a chance to, well, the company failed and we had to shut that one down. And I got a chance to ask, email some of the people. I said, I saw you were on our website looking at products, but you didn't buy anything. I said, why not? And they said, yeah, in the end, I didn't feel safe typing my credit card into whatever the internet is. People just weren't ready. So we were too soon. And people said, I'm not comfortable with this. I don't really know where my credit card's going. In fact, I had a funny experience with one stay-at-home mom. I said, you don't need to worry about it. I said, we use RSA 128-bit encryption. And she said, oh, Jeff, I'm sorry. I only speak English. And I was like, well, that is English. (laughs) She said, well, it didn't sound like it to me. And I said, do you know what encryption means? And she said, yes. She said, it's how the Egyptians buried their dead. I said, well, that's not really encryption. And she said, well, then I don't know what it means. And I sat there and think, man, did we get this wrong? Because we didn't go out and really get to know our customer first. We didn't spend time chatting with stay-at-home moms to find all this out. That's a very valuable lesson we've learned since, right, about getting out as soon as you can and talking to your prospective customer and getting to know them because they're not you. My employees were not stay-at-home moms. They were working people. So anyway, but there was a good that came out of that during those years. So we spent some amount of time failing on that. But an interesting thing while we were building the company was that a lot of banks called. They said, hey, this new thing called the internet, we would love it if our customers didn't have to drive to the bank or the ATM just to check their balance or whatever, right? Couldn't you use the internet for some basic banking stuff? And we already had written 80% of that software, right? So we went back and said, actually, you could. And so we sort of took out of the ashes of that company, the assets, the patents, and changed it from virtual retailing to online banking. 
with the middleware, and we actually wound up getting the first uh, internet bank license in the U.S. The Office of the Controller of the Concerned Currency, OCC, wow. who controls bank. The OCC gave us the first internet bank license that had ever been issued in the U.S., and later we sold the license to a major bank because we didn't know how to run a bank. Um, but uh, <laughs> it was kind of an interesting conversation because the examiners, when you license a bank, they have to come out and, inspect and examine. And they're like, okay, give me the address. I'll come to the bank. And we're like, well, dude, there's no bank. It's on the internet. And like, oh, what's the address of the internet? I'll drive over there. And we're like, no, no, no. There's not a physical address. And they're like, well, then how do I get to your bank? We said, there's no physical bank. It's all online. And they're like, okay, again, wherever it is, I need the address. We're like, oh, my God. Uh, they did not comprehend a lot of the people, e-commerce at the time. But so that was the next business. The, the internet banking thing worked, actually. So there was a number of these other companies that we did over those years um, before Priceline started. So then I wanted to say that this next question, you got a lot of these background and skills to run all these types of businesses by doing, but is there anything else I'm missing that maybe I could ask that helped you get some of those uh, skills, maybe finding some of those people? Because I know sometimes it's hard when you have this idea, finding talent, finding people around you that you felt well, not just comfortable sharing the idea, but because there's a lot of times I, I hear that people are scared to share their idea because they don't want people to steal it. Well, they're not. They don't know the recipe. They just know the title. Right. <laughs> That's kind of how I look at it. Hey, let's hit a couple of those. I hear that all the time. It's funny when people come in with an investment pitch. Hey, I need some money. What's your idea? Well, we don't want to share it with anybody. Great. We'll write you a check right now. Right. Said no one ever. And, and here is the thing that I always tell people. If your idea is so easy to do that just by telling it to someone they can steal your idea, get another idea, right? It's something that simple that anybody can do it, then don't do that thing because anybody will do it. Um, what we tell people is two things. One, you should be doing things that you have an unfair advantage of. So for example, I had, you know, and, and people I worked with had worked on those airline kiosks and worked in the airline industry. So we knew the airline back office systems are written in a proprietary language that there's no documentation for. It takes a couple years to learn how to code and interface with them. So by the time we got to Priceline and we're telling people about the idea, if somebody said, don't tell them the idea, they'll steal it, our answer would have been good luck with that. You know why? Because you look as an entrepreneur for a business, you have some kind of unfair advantage in. So here's one. If you wanted to start to steal our travel idea, Right now, it's going to take you two years easily to figure out how to write the code, how to build the technology, because our whole team already knows that we've been doing it for years. Second, because of our previous success, I can pick up the phone and call the CEO of an airline and they'll take my call. And I would tell these people, will they take yours? No. Right? You, I already have relationships and I already have right. a proven track record with this customer base, airlines, hotels that you don't. And we already have the technical skills that took years to acquire. So if you want to steal our idea, good luck with that, because it's going to take you years just to catch up. If you have no advantage to the thing you're doing, maybe it's not the best thing to do with your time. Look for something where you have advantages. That's one. And two, when people tell me, I'm afraid to tell these investors or whoever, tell people about my idea because they might steal it. You know what my answer is? It's going to sound silly. I said, maybe don't tell your idea to people who steal things. They say, how do I know if I steal things? I said, exactly my point. How much research did you do? <laughs> so people could research our company and find out that never in the history of 
anything I've ever done has one single person on the planet Earth ever accused us of stealing idea. No one, there's none of that in social media. There's no lawsuits. There's no nothing. You can't find anyone anywhere that will say they stole my idea. So maybe that's mm -hmm. the kind of people you should talk to versus when you're doing research and you find a company that's involved in a legal dispute over an idea, then don't tell them your idea. It isn't really rocket science. They say, I don't mm -hmm. want to tell people my idea because they might steal it again. Why don't you do your homework and find people who've never stolen anything from anybody and you should have no fear of telling them your idea. Just don't tell yeah. everybody. Tell the people that are trustworthy, which takes a little research, that's all. Yeah. So I appreciate you sharing that because there's a lot of times with a lot of the friends, my networks and community that I talk to that have this idea, but maybe are hesitant or afraid to kind of talk through it with people. And I think this is really encouraging for them to know that if this is idea that's really easy to run with, then they don't tell anybody. But if it's something that could be difficult. <laughs> yeah, then don't worry about it. But it's more than just don't tell anybody. If it's such an easy, mm -hmm. an easy idea to run with, find something else to do. Find something mm -hmm. to do that everybody can't do. Right. There's a million new ideas every day out there. Right. So if you have one that everyone that hears it wants to can steal it, then maybe you should do something right. else. I had zero fear when we started Priceline that anybody was going to be able to figure out how to do what we were doing because we had a unique team. You brought up another point that I think is worth covering that a lot of times people don't start something because they don't know how to do everything. Right. You might you could be an ex airline employee. I'm a tech guy. I'm a software engineer by trade. So I knew that we could write this software. But I'm not a finance guy and I wasn't a marketing guy then. So you might be somebody that says, man, this thing is an app and I don't know how to write apps. So you never start. Well, you have to get over this realization that not only will you never know everything, but there's no requirement to. When somebody says to you, I, when I left tech, I started a music company and later a film and television company. But I didn't uh -huh. write the music. I didn't sing the music. Right. I don't operate the <laughs> camera. Everything is about team. No great thing has ever been done by one person anyway. So if you have a super cool tech idea and you're not a tech person, that's what people tell me. I like, how come you haven't launched that idea? They're like, I don't know anything about tech. Well, you're not going to do it yourself anyway. So go build a team. The answer is for every great idea, your ability to succeed is not based on you. It's based on your ability to find people smarter than you and build a team of people that know all the stuff that you don't. So quit stopping because you don't know all the answers. Spend your time instead finding people smarter than you in all the areas you don't know that actually yeah. do know the answer. I, I would just say to, to be greater than you and get out of their way if yeah, you're exactly. really trying to build the best team. You got it, man. Let them do their thing. Yeah. So I want to get into then like the common mistakes you've seen with CEO, maybe mention one for the sake of time, because I really want to get into some juicy leadership sure. questions. But what is a common mistake you've seen with CEOs, founders, when they start a business? And what can be done to avoid these errors? Yeah, so we it, it really is the one we just covered. It's believing that you can do stuff that you have no skills, training, or experience in. When you start mm -hmm. a company, you're wearing seven hats, but you should be trying to get rid of six of them as soon as you can, <laughs> right? Because, in fact, I was doing my own finance, marketing, tech, everything, because I was the only employee at the beginning. And to add on to what you said, there was an interview that you did on another podcast that I heard, and you talked about finding talent. And you explained that you're not going to get talent. They're not going to come to you because they love where they're at right now. So they have options, a lot of these talents. So what advice do you have for entrepreneurs that are maybe looking for some top talent when trying to pitch them your your business? Yeah, so uh, two things. Um, one People don't only only care about money. 
what CEOs tell me is I can't afford her. She has a good job and she makes more than I can pay. Yes, that's important. It's not the only thing people care about. People care about impact, right? So if you're if you're a business that's going to change an industry and leave an impact and be part of history, people care about that. So don't walk in apologizing right. that you can't pay the same salary. Walk in excited that if you come join us, you're going to look back at history one day and said, I helped change the entire industry. Instead of I just collected mm. my paycheck for 20 years. No, I rewrote the way yeah. an entire industry works. Impact matters. And the other piece of advice is don't be greedy. Too many times people are given all this advice to be as stingy as possible with their equity and not give anybody anything. And I tell them this, you're going to wind up owning 100% of nothing as opposed to a way smaller percent of something giant because those super talented people aren't going to leave their high paying job when you can't pay them unless you make it up with equity. I can't pay you the same salary, but I'll, I'll give you shares in the company that you don't have where you are. I'll give you a piece of the action so you own part of it. Equity is significant. Being greedy with your equity is a losing game. Give it up. Own a smaller piece of your own company, but it'll get much bigger when those rock stars come. Yeah, that's important. Thank you for mentioning that. That's great. So then billionaires typically tend to reinvest their money into themselves or their business. What made you decide to invest your money into children and future entrepreneurs? So talk to us about philanthropy and some of the work that you do outside the country and in the country. Sure. Too. So, you know... In the end, I saw a sign one day. It's funny that you said that, by the way, because I'm involved in a company uh, with a guy named uh, Mike Chapin and Mark Cuban. And the company that I'm involved in with Cuban is called Three Commas. That's actually the name of the company <laughs> uh, for that reason and the logo. I saw a sign one day in my life that said, you may be successful, but do you matter? And, and Jonathan, I thought about that for a long time. And here's the difference. Success is doing another transaction, closing another deal, having another exit, whatever it is. Success is making money or doing something for you that benefits you. I sold my company. We closed a deal. We made profits. That's all success. But mattering is making somebody else's life better. And when I saw that, I decided that instead of being judged by the number of dollars you made, your goal should be to be judged by the number of other people's lives you made better. And so to do that, you actually have to make other people's lives better. I looked at that. I realized that that's really the legacy that I'd like to leave is to be able to look back and say, there's a lot of people's lives who are better because of whether it's money, whether it's time, whether it's skills, whatever I was able to invest in their future, their future is better for it. Uh, here's a quick, funny story. I got to mm -hmm. spend an afternoon once uh, with the Dalai Lama. And I was oh, wow. unprepared to, so I was trying to think of cool questions. And one thing I asked him was, <laughs> you know, advice for for what you and I just talked about, advice for making an impact. Mm -hmm. And the Dalai Lama said, uh, Jeff, you would think that if you want to change the world, you need to go talk to the people that run the world. Pretty logical, right? And he said, except you're wasting your time. They'll never change. He said, mm -hmm. so the real way to change the world is not talking to the people that run it because it's too late. They're setting their way. He said, the real way to change the world is spend all your time with the youth and prepare them to lead better and differently than the previous generations or any generation before them. So the commitment is to help prepare a whole generation of youth, a global generation of youth, to understand what their responsibility to each other and to the world is and help them get ready to lead in a much more sort of heart-centered and human way than the world we're currently in today. So 
given that, we started our own, it's called World Youth Horizons, if people want to see it or even donate, it's at worldyouthhorizons.com. We started our own charity. The reason that I started my own was to make sure that 100% of every dollar goes directly to children. I was donating to other organizations, and a lot of times a big percent of every dollar stays in their overhead. Mm. Um, we pay all our own expenses personally, and everybody's a volunteer, so 100% of every dollar goes directly to children. That's why we started our own. So yeah. that's the reason we said, let's just spend time preparing this next generation of leaders to lead in a different way than my generation did. So our focus is on you. That's wonderful. Something I really took away and for our listeners out there is when you're looking to make an impact, don't talk to the ones that are leading there because they're already set in their ways. Talk to those that the young people that there's still time for them to really learn about the world and what's going on and how to impact and support one another. I'm a part of this like leadership group called Hispanic Leadership Institute. And uh, it's incredible because we get to understand how to talk about diplomacy, be pragmatic, but also understand like different cultures and backgrounds so that we could work together towards a common goal as far as education equity. And I'm talking, I'm not talking about equality. I'm talking about equity, health equity, and all these things that really our country needs help in. Um, so Jonathan, is, Jonathan that's, that's focused on uh, Hispanic businesses and leaders. Yeah. Hispanic leadership. Yes. Hispanic leadership Institute. Okay. Cause you know that one of my close friends and business partners and business and charity is Pitbull, uh, the singer. Uh -huh. And, uh, we're actually yeah, it's on we're, your website. <laughs> we were just talking yesterday about a partnership we have where we're going to be giving out more grants to Latino business owners in the U.S. to help them get through these tough times. So I'll send you info on that. But we want to make sure the Hispanic and other uh, minority owned businesses yeah. survive. But we have a heavy focus on Hispanic businesses. Obviously, that's what's in Pitbull's heart, too. Yeah, most definitely. And what I've been seeing is the economy is Latino, <laughs> like Whatever it is that any business is doing, they need to start tailoring their market, their uh, segmentation to Latinos, because I feel like a lot of businesses aren't doing that. And yes, they're going to make money for you know the short term. They're going to make a lot of money in their niche markets. But if they're not catering to Latinos, they're not going to be able to get the masses. Um, and that's something that I've really been noticing. And I'm sure Pitbull talks about that a lot. <laughs> yep. It's near and dear to his heart for all the obvious reasons. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. I'm excited for that. So now I want to get into some leadership questions. So you are a successful business leader, Jeff. What is one character trait that you think was most instrumental to your success? And can you please share a story or an example? It's really uh, listening slash empathy, right? When you're a leader and a CEO, what you think, and I certainly thought this, was, hey, I'm the boss. It's my job. What does a boss do? If you ask a child, They'll say a boss is someone who tells other people what to do. So that we, we start <laughs> learning that as childhood, and that's still what we believe. That's a boss's job. You're the one who tells everybody what to do. So when you start a company and you're the CEO, that's what you think your job is, to tell everybody what to do. In fact, that's not your job. Your job is to surround yourself with people smarter than you and listen to them. And it wasn't until I realized that I should spend way more time listening then I spend time telling people what to do and I'll be a way better leader. Real leaders, Jonathan, don't create followers. They create other leaders. Mm -hmm. And that's a hugely different mindset. A lot of leaders feel like my job in life is to make these people do what I need them to do. That's creating followers. No, a real leader creates other leaders and you actually hope that they rise above you. 
right? Because you're the beneficiary of that mm-hmm. if they're on your team and they get better and better. So mm-hmm. I think that that skill set of listening, when I started to spend more time, like, you know, people would say, how do you manage? And I would say, by consensus. I go out and listen to 10 <laughs> people in my team and I don't say a word. Then I take those 10 inclusive and diverse opinions and I go lay them all out in front of me. And only then do I start thinking about my opinion and what I think I should do. I literally do listening tours. I'm going to go out and listen to the whole team. Then I'm going to come listening back. Listening tours. Yep. When I, after my listening tour, I'll come back and I'll think about it. And then we can talk about what we're going to do. But I don't speak first. I listen first. And the empathy part is when you're listening, trying to understand the perspective. That person feels that way because why? If I could put myself in their shoes a little bit, I might understand their perspective instead of just thinking, well, that's not how it feels to me. Well, so what? I'm not you. I should figure out why you Mm -hmm. feel the way you do. So I think those are the skills that helped me the most because I had a lot of rock star people that came and worked for me and they said, I just, I feel listened to, I feel heard, I feel valued. And later they, they told me that's why. I love that. I feel like you become genuine and you really get to listen what what people are wanting to tell you and they feel comfortable. So Jeff Hoffman, public speaker who listens <laughs> a lot. <laughs> so then something that kind of popped up in my head was everything you've done so far to get to where you're at, there must have been a sacrifice you've had to make. What was it? Was it vacations? Was it relationships? And it doesn't have to be intimate, but what were some sacrifices? Yeah, honestly, it's all of the above. It's all of the above. Nothing good ever comes easy. Uh, and nobody gives you anything and you make sacrifices. And I notice with entrepreneurs, one of the things people sacrifice that I did for a while and I don't anymore is their health, right? Health is last. I, mm-hmm. I had to stop doing that or, or it would have killed me. But I'm being honest that there was a time in which I was sacrificing my health because I just didn't have time to deal with that. I'll grab something to eat at midnight when I'm still working and it's probably fast food because everything else is closed. And I didn't care about my health. I cared about getting stuff done. Bad idea. You are not at peak performance if you are not physically healthy. Um, And you already said the other one, relationships pay. All the people around you pay for the fact that you're an entrepreneur because you don't go to work at nine and come home at five, right? So everybody gets less of your time. Relationships suffer, friendships suffer, your health suffers, your balance suffers. Honestly, I did a lot of those things wrong for a long time. And you just need to figure out that back to what I said before, Instead of killing yourself literally and figuratively and ending all your relationships, why don't you just build a team where you can take turns, where somebody can say, I'm not going to be here this weekend. I need to go do something with my family. You guys don't call me unless it's absolutely emergency. (laughs) You can do that if you have a team of rock stars, of of people you believe in and you trust and you empower. Mm, So you don't have to. And the other part of that, Jonathan, is people always say, oh, I'm an entrepreneur. I work every day, eight days a week, round the clock. Working Mm -hmm. these crazy hours is not, in fact, a badge of honor. It's a badge of inefficiency. Later in my life, I would tell our teams, the goal is to figure out how to do in two days what everyone else takes an entire week to do. It's not to work eight days and then brag about, I'm an entrepreneur, I never stop working. That's stupid. That's why your health and your relationships (laughs) give. It's better Uh, to sit, pull your team aside and say, man, guys, Can we figure out some way to do in two days what everyone else takes a week to do because then we could have the rest of the week off? So that's the goal. But yep, did it wrong like a lot of people have. Yeah. Another thing that comes up is I assume, I only assume 
but um, maybe it's incredibly easy for you to get a lot of people to come up to you, ask for advice, ask for money, et cetera. However, what is your approach to reaching out to entrepreneurs who are often overlooked and may have never heard of you because of the lack of resources? Maybe they live in poverty. Maybe they don't have television. Maybe they just never heard of you. And I'll be honest, Jeff, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I did not know of you and I should have known about you. <laughs> I went to business school. I went to NAU. I went to Alhambra High School, not that far from the other high school oh, you wow. went to. Oh, wow, yes. And I, I've, I've, never, I've never heard of you. So I'm like, where is Jeff? How come I've never heard of this guy who's done all these amazing things? So then how do you reach out to those entrepreneurs who maybe are well, often Well, because I don't do it personally. I don't do it personally because it's not about me. We do it through our organizations. Um, I'm the chairman of the Global Entrepreneurship Network. Jen is in 200 countries now. So there are thousands and thousands of entrepreneurs that we touch on a daily basis. Like I said, I still serve as the chairman of it. So we reach out to a lot of people, but I don't try to do it myself because that's not scalable. We do it through organizations. So uh, like I said, Jen is on the ground in 200 countries, unreasonable, which I was the founding board member of. We do the same mm -hmm. thing. We do business in probably 180 different countries with entrepreneurs. So we have created organizations that reach out and find people everywhere. And so we've been able to literally contact hundreds of thousands, if not millions of entrepreneurs around the world through the team. So me personally, I don't care if they know my name. But I do care that one of our organizations becomes known to them that they can reach out to and provide help. We're about to, in fact, Pitbull and I are going to do this announcement. We're about to go on social media and announce this new grant program I mentioned earlier to hand out cash mm -hmm. to Latino and other small businesses and women owned. So Pitbull has 100 million social media followers. I do not. So right. in that sense, <laughs> it really matters. And I don't care if they've ever heard my name. As his name help gets the message out. What I care about is the organization, yeah. which is called Hello Alice, the small business organization, that they are able to reach as many small business owners in the Latino communities and you know other people of color and, and women-owned businesses as possible. So again, my goal is not to get my name out there at all. I don't care. My yeah. goal is to have impact, yeah. and we do that through all of these organizations. Yeah, I love that. And you're leaving a legacy because through years from now, two things that are guaranteed, right? People say taxes and death. Well, the good thing about it is if once in the future, when we pass away, what you are doing, Jeff, is you're leaving, you're leaving your legacy behind. You know, there's a little bit of Jeff in everybody because of those, I guess you could say those characteristics or those things that people got inspired by you. Because I'm getting inspired right now in this podcast. Well, thank you. That, that's the hope, Jonathan. Thank you. Yeah. So then next question so these are for people that are maybe wanting to connect with uh, venture capitalists or someone like yourself. So what do you wish startup entrepreneurs would have prepared or have readily available? Uh, so I'm talking about people in seed stage, uh, growth stage and series A before connecting with a VC or someone like yourself. Huh, that's funny you said that because when you started, I wasn't sure what the answer is, but then it became very clear to me. And the answer is milestones. Uh, what exactly <laughs> okay, milestones? milestones. Because what happens all the time is they call and say, I need funding. And the question that everybody has, whether you're an investor or whatever, anybody working with you and helping you is what exactly are you going to use the money for? Where is it going to go? And when are you going to run out? Because investors fear is you go out and you look for money and then they give you money. And a year later, you call and say, all the money's gone. I need more. And they're like, well, what did you actually get done with it? So 
milestones are more important. To come in and say, I've got to get my business on our website. We've got to get to 10,000 subscribers, paying customers on our website. Making up an example. That's a milestone. Right, right. And explain the logic. Well, because in fact, I'll give you a, a real example from way back when, when we were doing ubid.com. Back then, Yahoo was still a thing, right? Pretty big. And AOL was. And I wanted to get UBID on the homepage of Yahoo and AOL because they had millions of subscribers and I didn't. And they said to me, if you want to be on our homepage, call us back when you have 10,000 paying customers. That was a the number then. So when you've hit 10,000 paying customers, call us and then we'll put you on our homepage, right? And then you'll have access to our millions of customers. That's a real milestone. So when I go to an investor with UBIT and I say, I need to raise some money, they say, what for? I don't talk about the money. I talk about the milestones. Because if I can get to 10,000 users, I can get on the AOL homepage. Yeah. And I say, here is the cost. I've costed out what it will take me to drive this business to 10,000 users. That's what I need help with. That is what I wish entrepreneurs would do, would walk in with milestones and say, here's what's relevant to the business, instead of just saying, we need 500,000. For what? To run our business. Where does the 500,000 yeah. get you? A year. A year is not a milestone, right? So uh, that that's the yeah. simple answer. I love that. Well, thank you so much for sharing that, Jeff. Now for our final segment. So this is called Mind Your Business. This is where we take pre-selected questions from listeners. So I got on my social media. I asked people, I'm bringing Jeff Hoffman. Who's that? He's a billionaire entrepreneur. He does all these things. And these people submit these questions and it takes the burden out of them asking this set of questions that they may be shy about asking or afraid of how you might respond. So for those tuning in, you can ask any question you like for our next entrepreneur. Nothing is left behind or off limits. Our guest, you, Jeff, now have the opportunity to answer on the spot or you can just tell me mind <laughs> my business. Oh, okay, that's where that came from. All right. So uh, the first question, this is from on Instagram at not underscore D nice. What steps did you take to ensure that your business was ethical and aligned with your values? That's a great question. And the answer is we defined a culture for our business. We wrote down our values. What do you care about? We defined a culture. We wrote down the values and then you, we literally posted it on the wall. And then you don't hire to resume, you hire to culture and values. So uh, a value was that we will treat all human beings with the same level of dignity and respect, whether they are the CEO or the janitor. We don't treat anybody any different. Mm -hmm. That's a value. You determine your values, you write them on the wall. And then when you're interviewing people, you're asking questions to find out, would he treat the janitor with the same respect he does the CEO? If not, we're not interested in you working here. I don't care what your resume right. says. You hired a culture and values which you can only do when you define culture and values and literally write them on the wall so everybody that works there knows what you care about, what you stand for. That was a great mm, question. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for that question. This next one, this is from uh, at Lil Michu. What personal prisons have you built out of fear? Now, I think it was more early on, luckily, because, <laughs> and it was credibility. I was like, no one's going to believe me. And when I was young and I'm talking to, you know, 20 something years old and I'm, I have a little tiny startup and I'm going to airlines, giant global businesses. And I'm like, no one is going to listen to me. That was kind of the personal prison that I put around myself because there were times I would say, no one's going to listen anyway. So why even talk? And I had to break those walls down. So that's part of the prison is saying no for people without asking them. And I've had people that would say, oh, Mr. Hoffman, I was going to email you and ask you to mentor me or whatever. But I knew you were going to say no. 
was like, you didn't even give me a chance to say no. You just said no for me. That's an example of what that question is about. But I did that. There were people that they like, why don't you reach out to so-and-so? And I'd be like, because they're just going to say no. They're not going to listen to some 20-something-year-old guy who's it's his first company. And I was wrong. The answer is give people a chance to say no. But until I took down those walls I built around me, I didn't do that. Another good question. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. Great question. A lot of times people say no to themselves <laughs> yes. before they even get the no's from anybody else. You got it. So I, I came up with this question. Are you holding on to something that you need to let go of? And what is that? Wow. That's a hard question because I guess everybody is to some degree. Yeah, I know what mine is. I know exactly what mine is now that you said that. I, I sort of made this commitment to helping people. And the thing I have to let go of is this belief that if someone asks for help and I don't say yes, I'm a bad person. And instead of, I might have just helped a thousand people, right, in 50 countries. But when number 1001 calls and I say, look, I can't help you, I feel horrible. And I feel like I'm committing a crime and I'm a bad person and I got to let go of that. I can't help everybody. I can't say yes to everybody. And when I don't, I wind up feeling bad all day. And that's not right because it diminishes my energy on other things. So that's the one I got to let go of. Yeah. You know what I thought as soon as you say that? I'm a big Marvel fan and I'm thinking superheroes. You're a superhero, Jeff. And you can't save everybody, Jeff. You can't. You just, you're a symbol. You inspire. You get other people to do it for you. So that's the first thing I thought about. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. So the last question, this is from at underscore Tina Deer. Can you name a well-known business mogul that you met who you surprisingly ended up liking as a person and capable entrepreneur, despite what negative things the media networks or gossip has said about them? Ooh, that's a big question. The one that comes to mind first is probably the one we just talked about, which is Pitbull, because uh, he wound up becoming a really good friend because he's actually an absolutely sharp and focused entrepreneur. And the media did not that they said he was a bad guy, but he's a wild party animal that just wants to sing and drink and women and all that, because that's the media version of it. And it's fact, it's a guy that would rather be home with quietly with his children, not out at a wild party. That's his job and is very focused on entrepreneurship. And in fact, has just broken ground on his 12th, 12th school in the inner cities of America uh, to help inner city kids. So when we first met, I was wow. like, he's a rapper. He's a party guy. I'm not going to have anything in uh -huh. common. And in fact, it was exactly the opposite. We have so much in common in terms of beliefs and, and the charity work we do together. And he's a class A guy whose life is defined by his giving back, not by his music videos. So I would go with him. Uh, I didn't expect that we'd be such good friends because I, I bought into the media version of him and that's not who he is. That's right. just his job. That's awesome. Wow. Great question. This is amazing. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for being on our show. Please sure. tell our listeners how they can follow you. And if they're looking to become entrepreneurs and you know connect with you, maybe if you want to plug in any like contact information. Sure. So uh, I, I'm probably more active on LinkedIn than anywhere else. Since my name is pretty common, there's a lot of Jeff Hoffman's. If you type in Jeff Hoffman Priceline, it goes to the right LinkedIn profile. Perfect. <laughs> Twitter is Speaker Jeff. Uh, Instagram is Speaker Jeff Hoffman. Um, I have a website, jeffhoffman.com. And then our charity is worldyouthhorizons.com. 
where people want to volunteer or get involved with the work we do with you. Those are probably all the ways to find me. And then do you feel comfortable sharing the resource uh, that you are working with Pitbull or is that going to be released later after May 1st? No, definitely share that. So for entrepreneurs that could use a little cash anywhere from $5,000 to $20,000, um, we're going to be giving out money. Pitbull and I will do the promotion of it soon. But the website, uh, which is our partner, Hello Alice, it's actually Hi Alice, H-I-A-L-I-C-E, HiAlice.com slash 2022. If you go to that, you just need to explain to us what you do with the money, how you could use the money for your struggles right now. Explain that to us to apply. So highalice.com slash 2022. That's what we want to know. We give you some money. What gets done? With it. <laughs> awesome. And uh, well, thank you so much again, Jeff. Thanks, Jonathan. Yeah, of course. For those tuning in, make sure to follow and subscribe to us on all streaming platforms, including on our socials at Go Entrepreneur Yourself. And leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Now Spotify has a review system, so that will help us to allow to reach to more people. We can share these incredible stories like Jeff and get this digestible advice to future and aspiring entrepreneurs. So thank you again so much, Jeff. All right, my friend. Thank you. Keep doing uh, what you're doing. You're inspiring and helping a lot of people.